Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. Oh my goodness, we are we are in the dog days of summer, babe. It is sweaty. It yeah. is rainy. It's late July, and it feels mm-hmm. like it's August nineteenth already. Mm-hmm. It is just mm-hmm. hot, 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 hot. Um, we've kind of been on a roll. I don't know if you've like sensed this, or you know, uh, we was... literally took two like two extra weeks off. No, no, no. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bitch, I love a va- break. I love a vacation. Like, that's my prerogative. What I'm, you're like, we're totally on a roll. We're doing this. You guys, no, you're getting are, everything. Loving we're it. on a roll, though, because we've been just having like guest after guest after guest, and they've been killing it every single time. And I'm so happy, so excited to please welcome to the stage. It is Miss Trana Wintour, Queen of the Thank North. You. <laughs> Thank you. Babe, I'm so happy and excited that you're here. Um, also, congratulations. I saw that you did this amazing show this weekend. And, you know, artists truly killing it so it is such a pleasure to have you oh thank you so much honestly you have no idea how excited i am i listen to you guys almost every single day i'm obsessed with this podcast i feel like truly your podcast has revived my love of cinema because i got to a point where i was watching so many shows Mm, and i lost my attention span for movies even though i can watch like mayor of east town all in one night but when i see that there's a movie that has like a two-hour runtime i'm like no "No way it's not possible but honestly this podcast has really like revived my love and interest in in films and i i always you know end your episodes and want to watch everything that you just talked Aww. about so like it's truly a dream um, um to be on the show can i also just say that i'm it is a very hot 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 time for you to be here um i was creeping on your socials and realized that your nemesis rival in life jennifer lopez is just doing the most Doing the most. Um, she is she is trolling us and yes. gaslighting yes. us. Like we have never been trolled mm-hmm. on this level yes. by a celebrity uh, before. Former just a topic, Jennifer Lopez, for listeners out there. I'm just waiting for the big revelation that it's not even really Ben Affleck. Right. That it's all been staged. <laughs> it's Armas. Yeah. Well, someone has a someone has a theory because so many of the shots of them together mimic the shots from the Jenny from the Block video. Someone has a theory that they're recreating the video for the 20th anniversary of the song. Oh my god. Which seems like a lot of trouble for a song that no one no, really cares right, right. about. That's reaching your heart. She's like, I'm recreating this video that no one remembers. It's not one of the main bars. She's been trying to make Let's Get Loud happen like over and over again. <laughs> I just truly believe that this is a revenge Mm. thing towards A-Rod. She knows that in recreating shots from the video, it's going to get so much traction that there's no way A-Rod won't see it. That's my theory. But also, and and not to like jump the gun on our topic today, but like, again, another musician dipping her toes into the world of cinema. And I I do want to get into all of that. Um, Before we dive into this episode, Let's take care of some old business. Um, we asked you guys last time, our last episode was about the the face, literally, Miss Michelle Pfeiffer to go online and vote for your favorite film. And honey, it was a clean sweep. Um, <laughs> like Batman Returns, fully dominated. 70% of the votes, that is your winner. Um, we had Fabulous Baker Boys come in last place with 7%. Married to the Mob had 11%. My pick, White Oleander, which is honestly like the more intellectual pick, if you think about it. Um, <laughs> second place with 12.5%. Trana, I was like, no one else mentioned anything else except for you. 
Yes. Um, tell tell us. Well, I am an like diehard Michelle Pfeiffer fan. Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, is my favorite face. Like I could just <laughs> look at her for days. Mm-hmm. But my pick was What Lies Beneath. Yes. Um, I think she's so good in that movie. I just love her performance in that. I also adore Batman Returns, obviously. And also, I really love her in Stardust. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I love her as, like, a witch. Mm -hmm. Like, it's fantastic. Juicy, juicy roles. I I do feel like if there's one film that was a little underserved by our podcast, it was probably Stardust, even though we did say nice things about it. But, you know, obviously these episodes can't that be movie, five hours long. That so. movie in general is, yeah, it does oh, not get I enough love praise. It. it really is a gem. Yeah, totally. We have a review also to read before we get started. Coming to us live from Austin, Tejas. Uh, my gal, Julian Anthony said, Louie and Gavin know so much more about movies and celebrities than I ever will or could. And thank God. I just love to listen to them banter about celebrities we love and hate. Movies we really love and we really hate behind the scenes history and trivia that make me gasp and say, oh my God, that did not happen out loud. You guys crack me up every day and bring a lot of joy into my life. Five stars for my stars, Louie and Gavin. Thank you, Jillian Anthony. Um, love you so much. There were a lot of things in the Michelle Pfeiffer episode that I did not know. Like I had no idea that Michelle's Avita demo existed. Yeah. I had no idea that existed. Excellent episode. Thank you to Zach for uh, bringing Michelle Pfeiffer the face to us. Um, we stand always and forever, but alas, it is time to stand anew. Always and forever, we will be together. Sorry. <laughs> Greece too. Reproductions. Um, Trano, as our guest, please um, enlighten our listeners. What, ha- what topic have you brought um, to the gals today? You know, I feel like you've done so many great actresses, but I cannot already. You still I cannot have not, <laughs> you still have not taken on arguably the greatest actress oh. of all time, the one and only mm. Madonna. Madge herself. I just think like, you know, you woke up one day, bitch, and you said, I'm choosing chaos. I'm gonna I'm gonna email Gavin and Louie and say, Hey, you wanna have a real Fun time. Okay, but can I give you a little tea, though? I gave Gavin three options. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, Madonna, and Bette Midler. Uh, and Gavin pushed for Madonna. Okay. Uh, what? Oh, this Zoom call is breaking up. I don't... <laughs> what are you... Uh, okay, I'm going I through a tunnel. Th- Bye. This entire time, I thought you were the agent of chaos, but it's actually Gavin who was... And I, I presented the option of chaos, <laughs> and Gavin took it. Snatched it real quickly. Yeah, exactly. What is your connection to Madonna... How do you how did you get to know her as a movie star? Well, ironically, my entry into Madonna as a kid was Evita. Okay. Um, you know, my mom, like music was always a big part of my childhood, but it was really the radio. My mom wasn't a very specific fan of anyone in particular. Right. So when I was really young, I didn't really have a concept of celebrity and who was who. Um, but when I was around, I must have been around eight, nine years old when Evita was coming out. And um, that was sort of when my interest in pop culture started. I used to watch like Entertainment Tonight every mm-hmm. night during mm-hmm. that time. And um, there was a segment on Entertainment Tonight that was sort of like a capsule on Evita and, and it coming out. And I saw the trailer and I had no concept of who Madonna was at all at this time. But seeing that, I was just so instantly drawn to it. And I told my mom, like, you need to take <laughs> me to see Evita. 
And I saw the movie. I loved it. I didn't really know what the story was. I didn't really understand <laughs> what was going on. But I was so in it. And yeah. I remember my best friend at that time got me the soundtrack on cassette. Oh, my God. Um, and I listened to that endlessly. And then a few months after, I asked my mom, does Madonna have any other albums? <laughs> um, and she said, oh, honey. Oh, honey. <laughs> And yeah, so it, it all really started from there. I was just seeing her on that screen in that movie, those songs, it just activated something in me. Yeah. And she became such an important part of my childhood and and was so foundational to me um, in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say something very similar in my, my case, like, you know, culture, pop culture was very touch and go, like where I was growing up. And so... All I knew was her sound, that music had a death grip on like the late 80s, early 90s. You know, I was also a young queer, like watching Entertainment Tonight and being like, what, <laughs> celebrities? I, I think like, and this is very sad and embarrassing, but I just remember aggressively um, Die Another Day when she did the song right. and was in it. Yes. Um, and like, by that point, I was like in middle school, high school, some shit. Um, but then going back, like through this episode uh, or through this podcast, you know, we've seen Dick Tracy, um, you know, we've talked about A League of Their Own and, or you know, what, A League of Their Own, I certainly had seen, but I didn't know who Madonna was. I mean, right. It's super interesting to go back to all these other moments. Um, Gavin, what about you? What's your Madonna connection? So my original Madonna, and even though we are definitely here to talk about our films my original madonna exposure was the open your heart to me music video mm. which i don't think i as a child because uh, i'm the elder statesman here um, <laughs> i remember seeing that video and i don't think i understood that she's a stripper right but what i got out of it was you know because the, the the lead character in that video is a young boy who's like seeing her at this peep show and she's got this sort of androgynous equality she's got the real short black hair and she takes it off and she's got the blonde wig and and uh uh she ends up in like a men's suit coat at the end and it's like both very sexual but also there's something so alluring about it that's not sexual that she's like giving off this kind of like I don't know. I don't want this to get weirdly Oedipal and say, like, giving off a maternal vibe, but that's what it is. Because she's not, like, there to titillate a child. Right. But, right. but there is, like, this connection with her. In the ch- so, like, that is always, to this day, my favorite Madonna video, my favorite Madonna song. But I think the first film I ever saw her in, weirdly enough, was Who's That Girl? Which mm. was a movie I loved as a kid. I made my parents rent that movie like ten times. Your poor parents. <laughs> oh I know. My God. I know. I, rewatching it for this was a very different experience, but I will say I have such fond memories of that. You know, she has that poster of in the beginning of Who's That Girl? She has a poster of Elvis Presley and yes. House Rock, and that's sort of like that's what she sort of embodied to me was that sort of like. I'm a rock star, but I don't care. Like, I'm bad, but also, like, it's not a big deal. She's such a, you know, obviously an icon of culture, period. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in a way, I mean, I was thinking about this earlier, you know, we've talked a little bit or about a few um, subjects who have dabbled in both worlds. Obviously, Barbara Streisand, Jennifer Lopez, um, but... Cher. Cher, more. Oh, Mandy Moore. Wow. <laughs> I, yes. I knew that would get you. <laughs> um, I actually was talking to a friend about like, because Cher, you know, I think her and Cher have very similar paths or like yeah. iconic statuses. But like, 
let's be really honest. Like, I think Cher is a superior actress. Oh my I, God. Well, there's really no question. Yeah. I think like, I mean, we have to address that sort of elephant in the room of, you know, Madonna largely being regarded as one of the worst actresses of all time. But yeah. I think what's so interesting is that there are moments where she can be really good and it's just very hit or miss. Yeah. Um, and what I think is also interesting is that she's been given so many chances. Yes. Yes. You know, and it's sort of infuriating yeah. that so many times the wrong choices were made. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was given so many chances. And I do wonder if some of that is she's she's clearly very smart and clearly very much in control of her own career. Like I I think she's probably a genius level intellect, but I, it's I think she gets in her own way. And yes. I think a lot of the reports from a lot of these films were like directors found her unable to be directed because yeah. she was sort of like, well, I know what I need to give. And that's not necessarily how you should go into a movie. <laughs> it's like the idea that like, you know, art is a singular thing as opposed to like different mediums require different things. Because like, there are times when I'm like, like watching a music video and I'm like, okay, she's serving. She's like, you know, and it's not even like dialogue. She's just like giving you emotion, right. but then you transfer that and, I'm assuming she's bringing that skill set to, you know, a stage. Um, and it just is never or very rarely right. there. But that is the irony. Like she really, I, and I don't remember who said this originally. I think it's something that's been said many times, but she is an incredible silent actress. Yeah. Like if this was the silent film era, she'd be the best. Because like you said, in the videos, like she can, she has so much presence mm-hmm. and conveys so so much just through her eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But then when it comes to, you know, doing a film where she has to speak, <laughs> she becomes so self-conscious and is so aware of how she looks and how she's coming across that she, it often feels like she forgets even how to speak. Yeah. 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 Well, gals, before we, you know, get ahead of ourselves, why don't we get into the rewind? Gavin, Tell us all about Miss Madonna. I do want to give a preface, which I normally don't do, but I have a very good friend, uh, my friend Tony, who hosts the MLVC podcast, which is a Madonna podcast, and I've seen the way some people sort of react. And this is a this is a fan podcast, so let me preface it by saying that like this is people who love Madonna. Um, and so I do just want to say, if you're coming to this as a Madonna fan. We're not here to tear anybody down. That's not our goal. We're not out to get her. We are mostly talking about her movies. I'm sure we will bring up her music here and there because it is such a huge part of everybody's lives. But we're mostly talking about her films. Don't come for us. <laughs> that's that's for basically... Us. Yeah, they're they're going to come Yeah, they're a very vocal. And you know what? I love when people love something. I truly do. But I've just... I've seen some of the reactions to poor Tony's podcast where they yeah. gush about her constantly. So like it happens. Know. There's a few other Madonna podcasts too that I listen to. I listen to the MLVC one as well. And like, they all get it. All the Madonna podcasts, even though they're so loving, 
Yeah. It's like as soon as there's any kind of critique. But I don't know. I don't want to add to your warning. But to me, <laughs> being a fan means yes. critiquing. Critiquing is part of being a fan. Madonna, being an artist herself, totally understands that. Totally gets yeah. that like yeah. people are going to critique her work. That's part of what she does. You if know? I and can she does get her... through critiquing Mandy Moore on this podcast. Yes. So let's get into that rewind. Madonna Louise Ciccone was born August 16th, 1958 in Bay City, Michigan. That makes her a very young 62 years old. Both her parents were Catholic. Uh, Madonna Louise, whom she is named after. So she's Madonna Jr. And Silvio <laughs> Anthony, people called him Tony. They were a very Italian family. She ended up being raised in the Detroit suburbs. She has two older brothers and three younger siblings, Paula, Christopher, and Melanie. Her mother passed away from breast cancer on December 1st, 1963. Uh, as you can imagine, that's heartbreaking for a child, especially when you're not getting to spend a ton of time with your parents. She was about six years old. I don't think one of your parents needs to die for you to maintain a childlike quality in yourself. I think certain people let it stay and certain people kill it when as they grow older a hunger a, a desire to find something to take the place of my mother you know i think maybe that might have made me separate she sort of ended up taking the place of her mother she was the eldest girl and so she sort of became the woman of the household and doing the stuff that her mother would do she ends up being like really great at school and i think that's so funny and the only reason i'm bringing that up is because we've done subject after subject where we're like not great at school hated school <laughs> terrible at school and madonna was like fucking amazing at school she's like achieving 4.0 averages she's on the cheerleading team she's really doing it up she did get notoriety for some of her behaviors she said you know sometimes uh she would be on the monkey bars during recess and would pull up her skirt just to oh make the boys see gosh. her underwear um ironically you know so many kids watching her growing up like we all learned to do that in the schoolyard from her videos absolutely. later on in life so Upon graduating, she received a dance scholarship to the University of Michigan. During her childhood, she was busy taking a lot of ballet, and it was really important to her. Christopher Flynn, her ballet teacher, is the one who, like, persuaded her, well, maybe dancing should be your career. And he also, like, at maybe too young an age, but who knows? You know, you know we don't, not judging, would, like, bring her to gay clubs and <laughs> introduced her to, like, the queer community and got wow. her out on the dance floor. So in 78, she decides to drop out of college. She's like, maybe studying dance in the collegiate way is not for me. And she moves to New York City. Um, and she essentially was like, she claims she has $35 in her pocket and she's crashing on um, people's couches and she's working at Dunkin' Donuts. There was a documentary that came out, I guess, a couple of years ago um, that was made by the guys from The Breakfast Club, this guy, this band that she was in. I watched what, it. What was the name of the documentary again? Uh, Madonna and the blank. Breakfast Club. Okay, yeah. I thought it was really well done and there's all this like archival audio of just her speaking yeah. like, on cassette like from before she was famous and like... I think that that is probably the closest to the true story, um, personally. And and so funny, because the director of that, Guy Guido, was actually a guest in the MLVC podcast. I really loved his passion and, and really loved listening to him talk about making that movie. But I will say my one negative critique of the film is that, and I, I don't know how many strong female presences there were around Madonna at that time, but it was all from the perspective of the men in her I early know, life. And I, I was a little put off by that. I was a little like... But I do think that that's been quite true to Madonna's career. You know, like I remember when she received the Billboard Woman of the Year Award a couple of years ago, 
you know, and she was talking about like supporting women, but in her career, she's largely worked with men. Yeah. You know, there have been a handful of female collaborators like Mary Lambert, who directed a lot of the 80s videos, including Like a Prayer. Largely her her collaborators have been mostly men. I've been just like asking all my, my friends, like, what do you think about Madonna film? And everyone has kept being like, it feels like all these movies have some connection to a man that was in her life, you know? Yeah. And it, and it feels like, especially at that time, I mean, and this could be way off base, but, you know, being so young, um, you know, coming to New York and trying to make the industry, like, the man fucking controlled everything, you know? Yeah, they and did. I, and the thing that I keep thinking is, like, she, for as talented and as smart as she is, just knew how to fucking play the game. Absolutely. She was tough as nails. And I don't think enough credit is given for how, regardless of whether it was $35 in her pocket or 200 or a couple of contacts or none, she really started from like lower than zero. Yes, absolutely. You know, the things that she went through in those early days to get to where she needed to be, like, I'm sorry, but your Ariana Grandes would not have lasted three minutes in that context. No, I never thought about money when I was a child. I didn't, I thought about being accepted and uh, getting people's approval and being loved. I mean, (laughs) those those were the things I wanted. You know, when you grow up and you feel something's missing in your life, you go, you know, there's this little voice inside of your head that's going to say, like, I'm going to show them, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to get, I'm going to make everybody love me, like, that kind of a thing. Getting back into the timeline, the other thing to talk about is Fully Drive, which you basically just said, because while she's doing this, while she's working at Dunkin' Donuts, she's taking classes at Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and she's performing with the Peter Lang Dance Theater. And so she's she's like, I'm going to be a famous dancer. She's like, this is the goal, and I'm going to make it happen. She studied under Martha Graham. I mean, who fucking studies under Martha Graham? You know, like, that's amazing. She starts getting jobs as a backup dancer, and trigger warning for anybody out there, sexual assault. She returns home one night from a rehearsal, and she's held at knife point and, and forced to perform fellatio on a man. She said of the incident, quote, it taste of my weakness. It showed me that I could still not save myself. In spite of all the strong girl show, I could never forget it. I think that incident really shakes her. And she ends up going kind of into, I don't want to, I don't want to say depression because I can't diagnose her, but she, you know, she, it, it fucks with her. And eventually she meets musician Dan Gilroy. He convinces her to join his band, the breakfast club. Um, also at this time, by the way, side note, um, she auditions uh, to perform in Paris with a French disco artist, Patrick Hernandez. When I first came to New York, I was a dancer, and a French record label offered me um, a recording contract, and I had to go to Paris to do it. So I went there, and that's how I really got in the music business, but I didn't like what I was doing when I got there, so I left, and I never did a record there. She ends up moving into abandoned synagogue with Gilroy. Um, they rehearsed together also in the synagogue in Corona Queens. This is all what that movie Madonna and the Breakfast Club is about. Um, If you want to know more about this time, I I certainly think it's, it's worth going, you know, and having, having a look. She starts speeding towards fame. She stays with the band. She's like, cool. So I'm going to be the lead singer. And they're like, no. And she's like, great. We're breaking up. I'm taking the guitarist (laughs) with me. Um, She goes and forms a band called Emmy. By the way, she starts in the Breakfast Club playing drums. She realizes drumming is not, She's good at it, but it's not for her. She learns guitar, plays guitar, but also is like, I want to sing. And I also, I just want to say that, like, 
that's bonkers. That's like, that's psychotic. Like that's psychotic yeah, that's to, what, to be like, like, what if I'm in a band and I did this? Yeah. And I was like, mm, no, let's try it. I was like, that's psych, but that's Madonna like, is like, I'll do whatever. I don't care. And she's yes. like, a, and she's like a drummer, not in the way that like Meg White's a drummer. She's like a drummer. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. so so like she's clearly picking up the music and and like she knows her stuff she's trying to get her demo around and she keeps you know trying to get it to people get it to dj she shows up at clubs she hangs out at dj booths she finally gets her demo to be listened to and they're like this is great except we don't care about the band oh, we wow. want you she arranges a meeting with seymour stein of sire records He's actually in the hospital for minor surgery. She goes to his hospital room to meet with him. Wow. And she she like toughs him out. She's basically like, listen, I like, do I have a contract or not? Like, I don't, I'm like tired of this game. And, and he's just like holding his IV. Like, do I yeah. have it or not? <laughs> exactly. What's going on? <laughs> and he's essentially like, you had it the moment you walked in. Like, okay. you're good. Jerry Maguire. <laughs> um, so she, she signs a singles deal with Sire um, for her debut single, Everybody. It's released in October 1982. Uh, they don't want to put her face on the cover of it because they're like, this is great dance music. Black people love dance music. Uh, we don't want people to know you're white. Oh, wow. And, and Madonna's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so she ends up having a single release party at the Danceteria in New York City. She like blows everybody away. And there's video of this on YouTube. I highly recommend going to watch it. It's great to see like... It's Madonna's coming out party. It's, Amazing. You know, she's it's her couple backup dancers. Everybody. <laughs> you've heard the song. And now, Noam Tiandis is proud to present the world premiere of Sire recording artist, Madonna. Everybody, come on, um, no, Gavin, I think you should do a couple more bars. Uh, <laughs> the, um, let me get my pitch pipe out. Her second single, Burning Up, was released in March of 1983. Um, both singles reach number three on the Billboard magazine's Hot Dance Club songs. And she starts to blow up. Uh, she famously starts dating um, Basquiat and living at his loft in Soho. Now, here's where we're probably going to start departing from the music. Because yeah. if we were to talk about it every single thing. We would yeah. be here for days. Exactly. She wants to do music videos. She comes around at the time in which MTV starts a lot of people say mtv and her were birthed at the same time Mm -hmm. and she's also like i want to make movies i want to make thriller for every music video Mm -hmm. obviously they're not supplying her that amount of money but if you do go back and watch her early music videos like papa don't preach or la isla bonita you see story fully formed stories and narratives and people wanted that people were latching on to these three minute four minute soap operas essentially yeah and, and, and iconography iconography yes. she's giving you like costumes just the look everything everything about like the charm and like the brand of madonna was production doesn't matter how much money she had for anything it was giving you a show totally when you're a dancer you can only you act with your you perform with your body and um i think i had a lot of things to say in other ways besides movement so that's when i got into the music business and to me, the film is just the ultimate, you know, that's the embodiment of it all. You can do all that, only it's captured forever on celluloid. So she enters 
mainstream films in February of 1985. Uh, she appears briefly in the movie Vision Quest as a club singer. She sings both the songs Gambler and Crazy For You. Crazy For You then goes on to be played like nine times throughout the movie. <laughs> Everywhere else besides the US, basically mostly Europe, it's retitled Crazy For You after the Madonna song. Right. Which Makes is a sense. much better title. Yeah. yeah, She's like barely in the film. I was nothing. I mean, I didn't have to do anything but stand on stage and sing. So I don't really consider that, you know, an acting role. I wanted to be more of a part of it, but, you know, alas, the movie was already cast. She also ends up playing the title role in the 1985 comedy Desperately Seeking Susan. And a lot of people thought because the movie was really playing off the celebrity of Madonna that she's the star of the movie. But she's not. Spoiler alert, she's not. (laughs) Yeah. No. And I was listening to the audio commentary with the director, Susan Seidelman. I love Susan Seidelman. Me too. I love her. And I love Desperately Seeking Susan. Me too. Truly one of my favorite movies. But, you know, when they were making the movie, Madonna was getting known, but was not at that stratospheric level. And then with every passing week, it got crazier and crazier. (laughs) And by the end of the shoot, like... They needed security for Madonna. Like, it was really, you know, during the filming of that movie that things skyrocketed for her, mostly because of the release of Like a Virgin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Susan! What are you doing here? I got good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? You said you were going to leave. Okay, good news first. Your wife isn't partners with the grease ball. Susan, my wife has just been picked up on the Lower East Side, escaping from her gun-toting pimp. He's not a pimp. He's not a pimp. He's not a pimp. Yeah. The bad news is that he's probably going to kill her because he thinks she's me. But it's this movie that everyone's like, oh, she could be an actress. Like, yeah. she's Well, cute. there was a lot of hesitation to cast her. Um, Susan really wanted her. Um, but the other, you know, executives or whoever is making these decisions were really not convinced. And after her first screen test, they made her, like, go do acting lessons. And then she came back. And they were still not fully convinced, but they decided to give her that chance because Susan really believed in her vibe and her energy for this movie. She was a stan. Yeah, which was the right call. But it's interesting that even that early on, like, there was this hesitation around Madonna as an actress. That that sort she's not a natural at Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're painting a picture of her in which we talk about somebody who really throws themselves at every challenge that is put in front of them. And I mean, honestly, just go watch any interview with her. Any interview with her, I would say, within the last 20 years. And you can watch... She calculates every yes. answer. You and, see the and machinery thinks about, of yeah, Madonna. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I don't think that's a bad thing when you're as famous as her, but it doesn't always carry over into acting. Well, yeah. no, exactly. And I think for <laughs> acting, it's she's kind of approaching it from this very technical space. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like wanting to learn. And obviously you can learn, but so much of acting obviously is about emotions and mm-hmm, tapping right. into emotions and, and Madonna does not do vulnerability well that and, and and just being really present and in the moment and if you're sitting there constantly calculating everything how am I going to deliver this how am I going to deliver the next line like it makes it very hard for you to be present and and alive within the character because you're just definitely thinking about the next step but her natural coolness and charisma really come through in desperately seeking susan like she is like irresistible in that movie and just 
like the coolest girl you know (laughs) she gets these great reviews but at the same time she's also continuing to release music she's continuing to put out music videos and while she is making the music video the very iconic music video for material girl where she's doing a riff on marilyn monroe and gentlemen prefer blondes she meets sean penn Mm. Um, (laughs) famously an asshole first thing he says to her is like you think you're Marilyn Monroe don't you and she launches back with like you don't even say hi to a person you just launch in with the insult (laughs) and he's like oh it's nice to meet you Marilyn great they're gonna be great together people are so fun wow (laughs) are they are they (laughs) they start sort of an ill-fated romance there has been rumors of uh abuse between them madonna and sean penn have both denied it i (laughs) based on the stories that have been told about sean penn and the fact that she did call 911 on him at some point i have a tendency to in my heart of hearts believe that it did occur yeah but i also am a firm believer in believing the victim and if madonna swears up and down that it didn't happen then i i have to believe i mean a lot of a lot of people that have been victimized over the years don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Maybe just reporters leave her alone about something yeah. that happened 30 yeah. years ago at this point. But uh, but they end up getting married. I believe they're called the Poison Pens at one point <laughs> um, because that's such ill behavior. And they both have different ideas about what fame is. Uh, Sean Penn considers himself a serious actor mm-hmm. and really wants to do the work and, and really get down to it and doesn't care so much about the press. And Madonna's like, oh, I kind of need them at yeah. the moment. Um, so there's a constant friction. And so what does any good relationship do any good straight relationship do when they're trying to save a marriage they have a movie and they decide to work together in 1986 in shanghai surprise just like sit a little bit with the name shanghai (laughs) Shanghai surprise Surprise. yeah just sit with that everything you need to know about that movie is in the title (laughs) i had the amount of shrieks and gasps while i watched that for the first time I was just like, oh my goodness, the wannabe Bondian of it all. Do people not know Asian people in the 80s? Like, it <laughs> is... No, they didn't. We did a whole John Hughes episode. That's people true. People can go back and listen yeah, to it. John yeah, Hughes. that's a good point. <laughs> it's it's like, I, I wow, the human race. That was race. one of the few that I didn't rewatch. I saw it when I was a kid. You know, you're lucky. I, well, because I, I still remember watching it as a kid. And even though I don't remember necessarily the specifics, I remember the feeling that I had watching it. And it was excruciating. Yeah, I think the reason why I was like, why? How is this person so charismatic, so wonderful as an artist, but it never translates on film or rarely does? And I as I was going through these movies, I was realizing, you know, she as a musician is so subversive. She is so in control. She's going to say fuck you to everyone and do her own thing. And we love her for it. In the movies, it's the complete opposite. There is no subversion. She is always playing the bimbo. In this movie, she is an aid worker nurse character. Right. And, and, she and has, a missionary. And a, a missionary. missionary. Yes. Yeah. And, and she still ends up fucking the guy. And I'm like, Every single movie, any single time that there's like even a hint of subversion, you're like, nope, she did fuck him and she did die. Nope, nope, yep, she is the dumb idiot blonde. Like it's, and she would never even approach that in her music. Like it never. I mean, we really see that and we'll get there like in the 90s movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't help but wonder, I'm sorry, didn't mean to sound like Harry Bradshaw, but <laughs> um, <laughs> is there, and I, 
I don't mean to project this and I could be totally off and I'm not even saying that I believe this. It's truly just a question of like, is there some sort of sexual fantasy on her part, you know, that is motivating the choices in these roles? Because she's really putting herself as an actress in these like, like what you're describing, like these very non-subversive, very submissive, bimbo, like being degraded and demeaned roles so right. i don't I mean, know where that motivation is coming from and, it, and and part of me is like oh yeah i mean she isn't she's making this choice she's making these movies and but and i, I thought about that but because especially later in the 90s when she's doing erotica and like the sex book and like she is putting her body out there yeah and so there's a part of me like okay in these movies she's naked a lot you know she's really selling body but like i'm talking about one movie specifically and we'll get to it but like she fucking dies. Like there is no yeah. like I own my body and I'm liberated and that's the moral and I win. No, in the in the movies, it's almost as if Hollywood is like, no, you if you want to do that, fine, but you're gonna right. pay the price. Isn't it's there not- a full moment where she's like, come on over to this island and I'll fuck you? Like not those words, but essentially he's like, no, like he could literally stop the movie, like the movie would be over because he's like, no, I don't want to go. And she's like, I'll give you this purse. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Please get on with this, Mr. Wazy. We have a lot to do today. No, sorry. I had more fun when I had the mumps. I'm waiting, Mr. Wazy. You can wait all day, but I refuse to be put under obligation. It feels like Hollywood uses her in a way that in, in the music industry, she's using them anyway. Shanghai Surprise, very bad. I will say, if you saw on our in this Instagram, there's a bad guy who has plastic hands and he like, they made them with like a little space so he could hold a cigarette. It's it's almost camp. Shanghai but Surprise is almost camp. There's so many like bad stories from the set of this movie. Sean Penn didn't want to listen to the director. Oftentimes, Madonna would ask the director's advice about acting and then he would say something and she would then turn and ask sean and he would give her the exact opposite advice uh you know they put a lot of money into this film it's very much a disaster for them um and it's it's bad all around she comes back two years later in in the film who's that girl um a lot of people were scared to put out this movie or produce this movie because of the disaster Mm. that was in fact uh shanghai surprise but she was like no this is going to be something different this is a vehicle for me um comedy yeah comedy who's that girl for people who don't know um is about nikki finn who's a young woman she's getting out of prison and essentially she's assigned a uh griffin dunn's character loudon trout to like deliver her from jail to a bus to Philadelphia where she will be put on and forgotten about and no one will ever have to deal with her again because there's a shady businessman that he's getting married to the daughter to. It's a send-up of 1940s screwball comedies. It's essentially like a very loose remake of Bringing Up Baby, Mm -hmm. including the wild cat that's in it. I will say this. I watched it again. I didn't hate it. That's horrifying. Horrifying. Um, I know. Best opening credits. Best opening credits. Absolutely. Yes. I, this movie uh, uh, is the Michelle Visage acting school. Okay. <laughs> it's she's like trying to do Betty Boop meets yeah. Jessica Rabbit, and it's just like I will say, Griffin Dunn is Trey handsome. Yeah, he uh, really is so it, handsome. He's he's the problem with the movie, not because he's handsome or not because he's good. He is both in the movie. 
But he did this movie like almost immediately after Martin Scorsese's After Hours, which we talked about in our yeah. road trip film episode. Yep. And that movie is a masterpiece. And this movie is another road movie. And it's too similar. So it feels like this movie was at once upon a time a funny, funny script, whatever. And then it went through the pipeline of like executives and Madonna and like turned into this. Um do they think we not know what a mountain lion looks like? They keep telling us that this fucking cat is some rare magical beast. And I'm like, <laughs> Mama, that's a puma. Yeah, that's a puma. <laughs> James Foley, who directed this movie, was a friend of hers. He had directed some of her music videos. He's a friend of Sean Penn, had directed independent Sean Penn movies. This was going to be his big movie. He has since said, you know, the reason that she's not good in it or the reason he feels she's not good in it is because she had begun self-producing he's like she's mm. so good in desperately seeking susan because she didn't know enough or care enough about her image to be self-conscious he really did blame her for for this movie becoming a disaster i don't hate her performance because it is a cartoon yeah. it is like that's what she's and that's what i think is going for and what's happening she is doing that like you know when she shows up towards the end of the movie and she's wearing that marilyn monroe inspired white dress and she brings him up to like the rooftop rainforest. God is so fucking stupid. I, I was like, you know what? I'm in love with this Madonna. But where I come from, a person's word really means something. All right. Then I give you my word. Tomorrow morning, I'll come here, open up the box, and I'll get on the bus all by myself. You're lying. How do you know? Your lips are moving. I agree with you, Louis, that it is not a good movie at all. <laughs> but I do think it's one of the last times where she is funny. Like, sh her comedic timing sometimes is, like, really on in this movie. And I agree with you as well, Gavin. Like, it's because it is a cartoon. And as bad as it is, I'm surprised this wasn't a hit. And maybe it's because of the Shanghai Surprise disaster. Yeah. If this had been the follow-up to Desperately Seeking Susan, as not great as it is, I think it would have been a big hit because she was at the peak of her popularity. The song was an enormous hit. Yeah, yeah. As bad as it is, I feel like this movie should have been a hit. She was proving it's, that, like, regardless yeah. of what the critics were saying about her on screen, she was still an icon. The Madonna brand was very strong. And when I watched this movie, I was like, she had a death grip. She yeah. could yeah. do anything. Yeah. And, and we were like, okay, yes. Anyways, moving off of Who's That Girl, because I know you all came for the Who's That Girl discourse. <laughs> um, in 1990, she stars in Dick Tracy for Warren Beatty. Um, she plays Breathless Mahoney. In between Who's That Girl and this film, um, uh, her relationship with Sean Penn falls apart. Uh, she releases another album and she puts out the video for like a prayer. She got this amazing contract with Pepsi and they put out a commercial. The video premieres the next day and Catholic groups are like, no, ma'am, burning crosses, <laughs> black Jesus. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. And Pepsi cancels her contract. She gets this role in Dick Tracy, her Warren Beatty start this relationship. He's clearly um, <clears throat> her elder by some years. The film ends up being number one at the US box office for two weeks. She releases a whole soundtrack album, My Breathless, which includes songs inspired by the 1930s settings, but also features Vogue, which is a huge hit. Phenomenal. A little song called Vogue. I don't know if you guys read the news <laughs> or anything. It doesn't really do much on the charts, but 
we've talked about Dick Tracy before. I famously said in our 90s superhero episode that as an adult, I found it kind of boring. It is boring. I, I was going to say, I'm still going to stick by that. It's a beautiful I, gowns movie. It yes. is, but I, because I hadn't, that was one that I hadn't seen in a while and I rewatched it. And I never knew how stunning it is visually. Like truly yeah. one of the most beautiful looking the movies production. I've ever seen. Yeah. You don't see a lot of movies that are that feel that stylized, but also that tangible. Um, especially now, obviously, where it's all computers and shit. Yeah. Like this for as boring and kind of like flimsy as the movie is. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh shit, like someone took a really big fucking swing on we're going to make a comic book movie and give yeah. like every resource yeah. that you could ever need. I mean, the only thing that it's really missing though, is just like some sense of like stakes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like there's just nothing on the line. There, there's so much stops and starts. And I get that the idea is like, it's comic strips, you know? So every comic strip is like three to four panels and you get like story from here to here to here. And then either it to be continued or the end. And so it's like a lot of like mini arcs, but none of those mini arcs culminate into a larger. Exactly. Arc. Yeah. What do we think of Madonna in this though? I mean, I, I didn't rewatch it for this, but I remember thinking that she's also kind of thin in it. Like, you know, just like being very breathy, very cool. I will say she somehow managed to take cool girl from who's that girl and like mature her. And like, yeah. she was giving us sexy. Thanks for calling. I was beginning to wonder what a girl had to do to get arrested. Wearing that dress is a step in the right direction. Are you going to make a move? Do I have to do everything? I'm on duty. What's your day off? Sunday. It's a big world. Must be Sunday somewhere. I think the thinness that you're describing really works for this role. Yes, I was just going to say the same thing. She really lucked out, you know, in that sense, because, (laughs) because I don't know how deliberate that was. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. it was just the perfect match because I think the character is this girl who is constantly pushed around and, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, literally they're, they're like beating up on her Al Pacino's like slapping her across the face. You know, she's this girl that's really been demeaned and degraded and is this club singer trying to stay alive in this world. And I think that thinness really makes sense for this character. Like, She's been made to disappear, you know, but she's still mm. there. She's still holding on. Oh my God, philosophy! Wow, <laughs> school me. No, and I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, like in this movie, no one is given any sort of thing, any sort of three dimensional moment at any point in time, including Dick Tracy himself. Yeah, the things you end up knowing about Dick Tracy are that. He's not committed to his girlfriend and he's good at solving crimes and maybe not even that great at solving crimes. He's like (laughs) breaking a lot of laws. I think she milks every moment that she gets out of that movie. And it's not easy because even like you said, Trina, she's being slapped by Al Pacino. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. she is working Mm -hmm. against somebody who at the time we considered one of our greatest living actors. Maybe Maybe depending on the projects that he's picked lately. But at the time, I think she really, really holds her own. And is part of that the fact that she was in a relationship with Warren Beatty, who can never be sure, because clearely being in a relationship with Sean Penn did not do anything. (laughs) But it's interesting that given who Warren is and his history as an actor and a filmmaker, 
that he would even consider casting her given the previous disasters. Yes. He obviously saw something beyond his attraction and interest in her as a person, because I don't um, think that would really affect such a big decision. Right. So there, you know, if someone like him saw something in her, there must be something. Well, when you think of Dick Tracy, it's like pop art. It is like, I mean, and who at the time was pop art? It was Madonna. Like she was the moment. And Dick Tracy kind of is just this like longer music video yeah yeah totally totally that yeah it is pop art really and she also does an incredible performance at the oscars you know sooner later sooner later gets nominated and wins best original song love that song too and honestly for everybody that comes for madonna about her musical theater ability in terms of evita those songs for dick tracy were written by sondheim yeah and like i don't know like more Sooner or later, those are great. I love those songs, and I think she gives them her all. And I know she, for Avita's a different thing, but I I will be a Sondheim over Weber stand at any point in time. (laughs) So after that film, she goes on the Blonde Ambition tour, and that I think between Madonna and I want to say Janet Jackson, this is around the time concert stage shows changed Mm -hmm. and she's essentially recreating her music videos on stage she's combining her theatrical background her dancing background and and creating these amazing stage shows that people go and they're expecting these amazing spectacles so she also gets this tour to be documented in a documentary called truth or dare uh, which is so much more than a concert film it's truly a documentary um, there are interstitials of the concert. I right. loved watching the credits of Truth or Dare and seeing that there were two different editors credited, that there was an editor specifically right. for the music portions and then an editor for the documentary portions. Well, the which, live concert footage in that film is truly the most beautifully filmed concert abs- footage. Absolutely. And I and, and I do want to say this for anybody out there who listens to this that is interested in film and has the money, pay two editors pay two editors to do it because i have worked you know you're you're gonna get as an editor you're gonna get whatever you get for the time you're willing to spend and the money you're willing to spend so if you have another editor focusing solely on just the music portion you're gonna get pristine beautiful moments like that movie i have worked with some editors who couldn't crossfade their way out of a paper bag but given (laughs) enough time and money will give you the fucking Mona Lisa. (laughs) So like, that's, that's all I'm saying. This becomes the highest grossing documentary of all time until Bowling for Columbine. So I believe that's like seven, seven years. It's insane. Um, It becomes a big smash hit, but also very controversial. Mm -hmm. It's Madonna. um, I'm going to put this in air quotes at her rawest. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's the rawest that she wants you to see. Yes. She which is, is fine. It's borderline performance. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's more of like a self portrait than, yes. <laughs> you know, a, a fly on the wall. She's Although like, I don't really know why anyone would want to be seen in the light that she's seen in, in this movie. No, but it, and, and I do, but, but honestly, like that's what makes for a good documentary. I think that's what Madonna's kind of going for. Right. Is it's like, Oh, here's a well-rounded portrait of me that I have crafted and have my hand on. (laughs) Um, It changes the game for a lot of things because there have been other documentaries about homosexuality, other documentaries about sex at the time. But 
this is the one that's reaching the widest yeah. audience. And yeah. there in this film, there's two men kissing. Mm-hmm. There is her being as frank as she can about sex. She like stimulates fellatio on a on a water bottle. And while these may seem like shocking, like that most audiences hadn't seen anything like this at the time. And and so it it does become sort of this like lurid hit amongst not just our fans, but amongst the movie going audience. It really is reaching the widest audience possible. Yeah. And totally. I think for so many Gen X kids, millennial kids, even the millennial kids weren't seeing it when it was first released. But I know for me, it was definitely one of the first things that that showed me queer representation. Um, I think I was like around 12 when I saw it for the first time and I was so drawn to it. And and I remember thinking, watching that movie when I was a kid, that Madonna was like the coolest person in the world. (laughs) But then watching that movie as an adult, it's like, my Lord, she is a nightmare. (laughs) She is awful. Cringe fest. There's that a very amazing scene where she... um, uh, her and the her she's gathered her crew around her her dancers and she's like do we want to be accepted by hollywood no do we care what well, people think of us no do we want people to kiss our ass yeah clearly yes ma'am yeah and it's like okay calm down avril lavigne hashtag uh-huh. rebellion uh-huh. like that's yeah um but I, but I think it's worth a watch. I had ne- it is an never essential seen it. watch. Yeah. I'm in term, especially in terms of queer iconography. Like mm-hmm. it is up there with Grey Gardens. It is up there with all of the sort of like queer camp cult classics. There's so many quotable lines like "Do something else, do my eyebrows." Yeah. Um. <laughs> you know, I think it is an essential watch for anyone who cares about pop culture. It is essential. And that's that. 1992, she does A League of Their Own. She plays All the Way May. It's an ensemble role. But I think it's one of her best, in, in, perfect, in all honesty. And I know she doesn't get a ton of screen time, but I think she maximizes every option she gets to use. And I don't know if all of that is specifically Penny Marshall's direction, or if it's just that she's fucking really good friends with Rosie O'Donnell at the time. Like she latches onto her and they play off each other so well. I was literally, I was like, it's the Rosie of it all. Yeah, it is. Rosie and her have this camaraderie and banter that is just so natural. And also people don't say this enough, but like Rosie's fucking good. Like Rosie O'Donnell is very fucking good. And so I think Madonna is always elevated by when people are like, she will rise to whatever occasion. Like if, and so with Rosie, and they're both kind of playing same type of gal, you know, um, I think like this is her most natural um, version of the like Jersey girl, New York girl, Michelle Visage girl. <laughs> and it, it's like, and it feels the most natural here compared to, you know, who's that girl or whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she's she's deployed perfectly in this movie. She's giving enough star factor. She's dancing around in the scene, you know, she's like, doing the you know uh gum talking and, and and just like everything is just like they her and rosie are the perfect foils to uh laurie petty and uh, gina davis who are like good girls yeah i couldn't agree more and i think there's something freeing for madonna about not being the lead i think it yeah. takes an yes. enormous load off her shoulders where she is more free to be a bit more relaxed 
to be less in her head. She's not carrying this on her shoulders. I think that really allows her to shine. In 93. This is when things start to get really bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, this is what I've been talking about. <laughs> yeah. She ends up in the erotic thriller Body of Evidence. It's a movie in which she plays a sadomasic, um, dominatrix-esque woman who's on trial because the older gentleman she was fucking... And the, we really need to know, was it intentional? Did she kill him with yeah. her sex? And Can you kill someone with your vagina? <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, that I, is many literally spelled out in the movie yes, over yes. and over and over again. This idea of, the, of her body being the murder weapon. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's... The film also stars Willem Dafoe as her lawyer that she becomes sexually involved with. And Julianne Moore, a previous subject of ours, uh, as Mm -hmm. his beleaguered wife. Alas. (laughs) Yes. Um, What's that on your chest? (laughs) Hot wax. Candle wax. You you never do the hot wax treatment with me, Julianne Moore. (laughs) Um, So naughty. Uh, This movie... Gets terrible reviews, but I do think a lot is asked of her. Those sex scenes, which neither Willem Dafoe or her used a um, body double during, are hard. (laughs) I cannot imagine. They are intense. Yeah. And they're hot. Yeah, I find them like I find those are some of the best sex scenes that I've ever seen. It's just too bad that they're in this like awful movie i feel like the whoever wrote this movie directed this movie like they were like people who like weird sex are fucking crazy and like they're so interested in like (gasps) he cut himself during sex but he doesn't even care because sex is so good and she's like breaking lights and like getting fucked on top it's i was like we were so repressed in 1983 we were so repressed because everything about this movie... Well, I mean, the the thing that drew her to the movie was the idea that she was playing a woman who was, like, in full capacity of her own sexuality. And literally everything in the movie is saying, like, that's bad. Yeah, that's not bad, good. Bad. <laughs> You're a murderer, woman. And, like, I'll just never forget, like, when... For me, the scene that, like, shook me to my core is, like, when they're having dinner... And he's like, how do you know if someone's into what you're into? Yes. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you. You're not going to tell me? No, I'm not going to tell you. Why not? Because he doesn't know it yet. And like, as it, if it was only that easy, like we have full apps now that spell out every single thing yes. we're into. Like it's... It's not like, yes, that person wants to be pissed on. Yes, that person wants to be punched in the face. Like, that is not a real thing. And, like, this movie is just, like, God, the sexual repression, Reaganomics. Yeah. It's, uh I mean, I do definitely think it's a reflection of what was occurring in America at the time, you know, and so. And it feels like Basic Instinct was sort of, like, as big as it was, like, it sort of also felt like there was nowhere else to really go with that genre. And the sort of sexual thriller of the late 80s and early 90s was, like, kind of on its way out by the time that Body of Evidence came out, and it just feels very redundant. The way she talks is so stilted in this movie. One of my favorite lines, because I I watched it a couple of months ago, um, and there's this line towards the end of the movie where she's sort of giving an explanation, and she's like, naming all the people she fucked. And she's like, I fucked Andrew, I fucked Frank, I fucked, like, (laughs) and she, like, but she's saying it with, like, no 
emotion at all. Like nothing. Like nothing. It's, it's actually her grocery blank. list. That's yeah, what it exactly. I fuck but those carrots. I fuck that celery. She's <laughs> just so blank in this movie. Even when Julianne Moore slaps her, she I is blank. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. I was like, Julianne Moore, who is one of our greatest actresses, and like she has such a small part of this movie and fucking slaps the shit out of her. And Madonna's just like, uh, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's so thin here. But it's also like, you know, um, her book Sex had just come out, yes. you know, in 92. And so I feel like this is like, she's living in this world of like wanting to be really in control of her body and like push the boundaries, which I get, but it's just so much more successful in this other realm of media. Yes, and exactly. The because the book version. is like stunning. Like, the book I mean, is the book stunning. Got so much hate at the yeah. time. The it writing is rece- awful. It still receives hate. And she yeah. was ripped to shreds. Yeah. For that book and this movie. Well, th- I was going to say. Like, the- this was really a dark time for her where it truly got to her. It, like, it, it really got to her. In the same year, she does the film Dangerous Game for. Abel Ferreira. Um, it's a film with Harvey Keitel playing this Eddie Israel character who's essentially a stand-in for Abel Ferreira himself. He's a director and he's making this film about this uh, couple that's lives are being torn apart uh, by the fact that this woman played by Madonna, who's playing the actress and the character in the film, uh, who has given up this life of permi- like promiscuous sex and drugs that she has shared with her husband for a newfound religion and her husband played by James Russo is incredibly abusive. I liked this movie a lot. I think it's an incredibly hard movie to watch. Uh, yeah. It is not fun by any means. Um, there is a scene in which Eddie Israel's director character pushes Sarah Jennings, Madonna's character into reliving a past sexual trauma. Ma- Madonna in that scene actually told the story about being sexually assaulted. It's in the film Um, I'm not going to play a clip from that, but I will play other clips from the film because I think it's worth people's time. But oh, it is not any it's like an hour and a half. And I was just like drained by that. I was like, it's dark and heavy. Yeah. But I do think it's the most interesting film in Madonna's filmography. There's so much like the movie itself and everything that was going on in the making of the movie. Madonna fucking hated the director. And he hated her. She badmouthed (laughs) it to high hell. And he was like, she's given her best performance she's ever given in a movie. And she trashes it. (laughs) Yeah, I think because part of it was the loss of control. So there is in the movie, there's also like rehearsal footage of the characters, you know, in preparation for the movie they're making in the movie. But I read that some of that footage was actually, like, Madonna rehearsing. And she didn't know she was being filmed. And they used that, and she was really pissed off about that. And she has this revelation, and she's saying, this is what I've come to, and this is what I believe in. And every time he hits her, or pushes her, or threatens her, she's like, she's challenged. And she's like, can I, can I live up to this? Can I hold on to this? Can I do what, can I live what I just said I I believed in? Can I? And every minute with Russell is a test. I do think that she does give one of, if not the best performance of her career. And it is too bad that she couldn't just take that step back or take that loss of control and just see what she actually did manage to 
achieve. Yeah. I don't yeah. think the movie would have done well either way. Like, this is no. too dark. This is too it, heavy. It's released. How do you market this movie? Yeah. It's it, just to just to back you up. It's released direct to video in America. As you mentioned previously, Trina, though, this is a horrible time for her. And she compounds it with she embarks on the girly show tour. This is a, a concert tour that contains nudity. She shows up on David Letterman and she's like very confrontational. Um, she like gives him she like shockingly gives him her underwear and asks them to sniff them. And I think what's happening is essentially I don't think the mainstream was there yet, but a lot of her clout it was built on being sort of a rebel and and like pushing the envelope, especially sexually. And I think uh, the the pop culture was catching up with her. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. uh, so it was starting to not seem so like oh, wow, it's so outrageous she did it, and more like, oh, again? Yeah, even when she was on the cover of Vogue in 92, the headline was, Madonna gets dressed. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. And it's that that sort of, like, that's what, you know, like... The most shocking thing she could do was being bored. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, she... She was oversaturated at the time, like any major pop star, you know, even Lady Gaga reached a point of oversaturation. When you become a megastar... Yeah. It's in, it's unavoidable. There's going to be a moment where you become oversaturated and there is a backlash. Um, yeah. I just think for her, because she sort of invented the template for the contemporary pop star, it was particularly rough because no yeah. one had really gone through what she had went through at that time. I think that's absolutely true. And so what does she do? She reinvents herself because that's what any good pop star does. It does work to remind people of you know the uh, her artistry basically and also during this period she's in terms of her filmmaking is sort of taking a back seat she does cameos in the movie blue in the face which is another harvey Keitel film um she does a cameo in spike lee's girl six um which is her a little cameo lo- is really good in that yeah and i was I've never it's a seen the whole longer. movie i've only watched the um her little scenes oh and she's funny again yeah yeah i we saw this for our spike lee episode and i enjoyed it yeah absolutely and i think she's good at it she does a, a segment in four rooms um in which she plays like the the head of uh, a coven of witches uh the segment that she's in is called the missing ingredient in 1996 though avita we're we're here we're here we, <laughs> we finally arrived um a lot of people said that this was the natural progression of madonna the actress this is an uh a role that she'd been lobbying for for at least six years possibly more than that it passed through a lot of hands oliver stone was going to direct it at one point he wanted meryl streep i'm so glad we did not get that version of the movie (laughs) um and essentially alan parker takes over she really wants this role she writes him a multiple page letter in which she describes why she would be perfect for this role i mean i was possessed while i was writing that letter my hand my hands were moving across the page and, and, and someone else was, was pushing it. And, and, I, and I basically said that I would commit myself 100% to the part and that I would sing and dance and act my heart out and I would do everything I could to bring her to life and make him proud and that absolutely no one could do the part as good as I did. He's like, great. I actually think she has the passion to do this. Tim Rice, who wrote the lyrics he thinks that she's an amazing actress when it comes to emoting through song and so he's like it's the perfect role for her because there's like very little dialogue it's all singing um Mm -hmm. andrew lloyd weber famously once said over his dead body would she be in it (laughs) 
eventually comes around because he's a prick. Um, but uh, sorry, not a fan. If you haven't been able to tell, it becomes a very long cat and mouse game with her. You know that she starts taking acting lessons in order to to beef up her acting. She starts taking singing lessons for the first time in her life. Finds out she hasn't even been using her entire octave range. She takes tango lessons. The tango normally takes somewhere around seven years to learn. She does it in months. So, like, she is dedicated. She was doing the work. And I don't know anybody who's as famous as Madonna is at the time who had to work that hard. And she's talked about that. She's like, I don't have the power to march into a movie studio and be like, cast me in this movie. Just because I make a record doesn't mean everyone's going to buy it or want to listen to it. Or, 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 you know, as far as parts in movies go, I can't go into an office and hit a director over the head and said, you better and say, you better hire me because I'm controlling the situation. That's not how it works. I think she's perfectly lovely in this movie. She's wearing dark brown contacts that are a little distracting because sometimes they make her eyes look completely black. Um, but um, she's wearing fake teeth. But she's having to work through all of it to like really emote and really craft this version of Evita Peron. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you guys have opinions. On of it, course. So. I mean, I'm probably going to talk about it a bit more later, so I oh, maybe okay. won't say too much now. Then we'll, then we'll let you sit on but, that. But um, I do think that Evita, maybe this is an exaggeration, but I do think it's sort of a lost classic. It doesn't have any long-term cultural resonance. You know, it's not a movie that many people have really seen, especially not in the last 20 years. Like, it's not like Titanic where, like, you yeah. know, generation after generation will discover it. But I, I do think that it's worth discovering. And I, you know, one of the things that I love about Madonna is just how determined she is when she really believes in something. And that, like, writing the letter to Alan and, like, you know, really putting herself out there literally goes back to 1981 and being in the clubs in New York and trying to get the DJs her cassette. It's the yeah, same yeah. thing. And yeah. it takes a lot of guts to do that. You know, like I can't do that. Even when I know that I'm right for something <laughs> and I really want something, I can't ask for it. It's too scary to ask for it. Yeah, especially when she must have known that like Glenn Close and Michelle Pfeiffer and all these other really incredible actresses yeah. were like circling. Yeah, as much as those other actresses are stronger actresses, that's undeniable. But I think she was right for this movie. I can't imagine anyone else. I think the changes that they made, like in some of the keys, you know, like Patti LuPone has like famously, famously yeah. shit on this movie and Madonna's performance in it. But I genuinely say this objectively. I think Madonna's Don't Cry For Me Argentina is the most beautiful version of the song and the key change fucking works. It yeah. makes the song so much better. I I love Patty, but I find her Evita borderline insufferable. She was an aggressive woman. Yes, you know? yes, And absolutely. maybe Madonna's interpretation of her is a bit too soft and is a bit too easy and, and wanting to niceify this controversial figure. I like the more gentle approach to the and, songs. And I was going to save this for later, but you do bring up a good point because Madonna was consistently fighting with the production to try and make Ava Perone a, a little bit softer. She's very polarizing. Even and, and, like back when she was alive and even to this day, like in Argentina is still like so polarizing. Like and, Madonna herself. That's true. And, and, and I think what's interesting about 
the the film is you know she obviously clearly didn't get all of her wishes and she she really wanted tim rice to change the lyrics to you must love me but i will say maybe the flaw of the film is that it doesn't provide very much political context for what it's happening and so oftentimes that movie is a two hour and 14 minute uh, very lyrical way of calling a woman a bitch right and, and i so highly like, recommend that anyone who wants to watch it read avita's wikipedia page yeah, first yeah absolutely. because otherwise if you don't know any of this story yeah. and it's hard to sort of just figure out from the music because it truly like there is basically no speaking in this movie yeah no we will most likely come back to Evita later, so why don't we table that from now and just move on with her acting career? Um, so the next film she does, at the request of her good friend Rupert Everett, she does the next best thing in 2000. So that's a four-year break in between um, being uh, in film. Um, next best thing. Uh, it's about a a woman who's recently dumped and she wants to have a child and. She gets her gay best friend drunk. Well, they get drunk together, I guess you could say. And they have sex together. And then she has a baby. And then there's a custody battle later on. Uh, uh, Michael Vartan, once again, making us have to sit through Michael Vartan. Yeah, this is an error in everybody's estimation. Uh, Rupert yeah. Everett should have never asked Madonna to play this role. I think because they were friends, it made it much, much worse, in all honesty. Um, this is a movie he'd been trying to get made for a long time. She, like, pushed the director out and got John Schlesinger to direct it. Um, At this point in time, John Schlesinger is about 102 years old. <laughs> Rupert Everett said he wouldn't call cut during scenes because he would have fallen asleep. But it's oh interesting because God. you can feel that there is a sleepiness yeah, the whole in this thing. movie. It should be, like, a lively comedy. It should be, like, t- you know, tit for tat, rat-a-tat-tat, like, that dialogue back and forth. Rupert Everett said that it's, you know, really it was about the difference between British comedy and American comedy. I don't think it's no. that. No. It's barely a comedy. I mean, yeah. the, f- the first 20 minutes are, you know, and I kind of love the idea of Madonna doing a rom-com. Did I read somewhere that allegedly Ryan Murphy wrote, like, yes. or rewrote a lot yeah. of so, the supposedly, movie? Uh, supposedly on set, Ryan Murphy and Rupert Everett rewrote the movie. It's very clear. I mean, especially the Ryan Murphy of it all. Like, it's very clear. It's hard to watch movies, especially wannabe mainstream movies that are involving queer people and queer stories at this time because it's like yeah faggot you don't have rights (laughs) (laughs) this movie wants to be subversive but it doesn't go the extra mile it's not like madonna being like you know what i know you don't have like the legal rights but we're gonna do this together that doesn't even happen no and i'm like i know you're so right it's like any opportunity for subversion they just she just doesn't take it i just think it's so just unfortunate that this was the follow-up to Evita. You know, she kind of managed to restore some of her credibility as an actor with Evita, winning the Golden Globe. Like, you know, mm-hmm. she was really setting herself up for some potential, some potentially interesting yep. follow-ups. And yep. this just undid all the good that Evita did. And yep. it's really and then, too bad. Yeah, and then two years later... It got, oh, I mean, two years later is the true nail in the coffin. Um, yeah. So she meets Guy Ritchie. And I do want to mention, by the way, while she was on the set of Evita, she finds out she's pregnant. She has her first child, Lourdes, also known as Lola. Um, she eventually ends up meeting Guy Ritchie. He becomes her second husband in the summer of 1998. They have a son together named Rocco, John Ritchie. He's born in 2000. They decide 
once again, like, I don't know why. Like, don't work with your spouse. Uh, seriously. Madonna. <laughs> like the, or, anyone. Deci- or, or, yeah. <laughs> or anyone. Or anyone. Um, they decide to make a remake of Lena Wertmuller's Swept Away, which is an Italian film from 1974. I have seen the original. I saw it years ago. It's very good. And it's full of political commentary for the time. And, like, there's a lot of context there. Um, this film has none of that. <laughs> and and essentially it's a film about a very rich um spiteful woman who goes on holiday with her husband played by the always hot bruce greenwood and she is shipwrecked on an island with adriano giannini who is the son of giancarlo giannini who played the role in the original movie um uh, and he's in, like decides to get his revenge on her he becomes incredibly abusive forces her to call him master the tables have turned and she learns to be a subservient less um terrible but also, woman and then they fall in love, love? Yeah. <laughs> fully the only like they're like madonna's like you black dog hairy black dog and i'm like i'm sorry are we supposed to believe that somehow this man is like this poor nothing schlub of a man he's clearly manufactured in a fucking lab somewhere like just stunning right. the movie was beyond the pale i could not believe what i was watching it's yeah it's really there's maybe one rede- the redeeming scene they made madonna's character so unlikable from the get-go that like but like irreversibly unlikable yeah. there's nothing yeah. this character yeah. can do to redeem herself um you know, on paper, it's like, yeah, it would be fun to see Madonna play like a glamorous, mean bitch, you know, like on paper, that's fun, but not in this movie. But she, for even as horrible as she is, like, I don't think she believes no, that. Exactly. Madonna doesn't believe. Yeah, no, like, she's, the thinness she's not getting, in the performances yeah. back, like, it's, she's, she's so, not giving us like fun camp, no. like she's not being like a, like a, a Glenn Close villain, like she's, she's just like, what are you doing over there? How dare you? It's like, yeah, ew, exactly. Ew. Yeah. And the editing uh, is really bad. And I'm not like, well, I'm not someone with yeah. any sort of technical um, <laughs> knowledge, but even I felt like this is just so horribly put together. It's, it's really harshly cut and it doesn't seem to follow any sort of rhythmic pattern. And I'm not saying like everything has to have a rhythm, but it certainly helps, yeah. especially if you're making a movie that looks like it does. Apparently, like um, rumored that the studio showed Lena Wertmuller uh, cut of this movie oh, and no. she left the screening um, crying saying, what did they do to my film? Why, why did <laughs> oh they do God. this? So... Horrifying. I I mean, just a disaster all around. It comes out in the US. um, Guy Ritchie's sort of riding high because he's sort of an it boy disaster. Um, Doesn't even come out in the UK to theaters, goes direct to video. Um, Madonna does not have a good reaction to this she's i've seen her do interviews where she's like well we're we were damned if we do and damned if we don't and part of me is like well one why would you do exactly (laughs) but um but this ends up being the final film performance of madonna's career supposedly privately she was telling people um she didn't want to do any other movies um as a lead uh, you know, she was willing to do cameos and she does do a cameo in Die Another Day where she also did the um, the lead song for, as you mentioned earlier, Louis. But famously, she privately told people that she'd prefer her bad acting career be forgotten. Mm. And um, but yeah, which is not to say, you know, she did a voice in Arthur and the Invisibles and 
um, she produced the Agent Cody Banks movies. Um, she was Which was so, I never knew that until today. Yeah. And, and so, and then she decides, like, well, if I'm not going to be great in front of the camera, maybe I can work behind the camera. She ends up directing two movies, Filth and Wisdom, in 2008. And then famously, in 2011, she directs W.E., um, which is a film about the famous love story between Wallace Simpson and King Edward VIII's um, abdication of the throne to be with this woman. Um, she said she connected a lot with with Wallace Simpson, how the press was so negative about her. and It makes how, no sense. Yeah. Like, her I, choice of this subject matter. Yeah. And she devoted so many years to this project, like three yeah. years. And I'm like, Madonna, you have so many stories to tell. And you have this opportunity to write and direct something. And this is what you choose. And I think a lot of this is when, you know, her marriage had ended to Guy Ritchie. And I think Madonna, what drew her to the story is the idea that a man who could be king and have all this power would give it up for love. And Madonna wants a man to do that for her. Yes. Right. But and, that's and not a good enough No, especially reason. these people they were not good people and she devotes a decent amount of time in this movie to try and dispel rumors that while simpson was a nazi sympathizer when history points towards the fact that she in fact was and her her defense of it is essentially like well the press lies about people all the time i know and and which is like a very sometimes madonna has this way of turning a blind eye to certain criticisms or like framing things in a way where she can bypass it. Yeah. You know, like she now especially deflects so much criticism as just, and just labeling it ageism and misogyny. And some of that is very true. No, very true. Absolutely. Very true. But not all of it, you know, like not all of the criticism is rooted in that. And I just think W E was so pointless. I will say it's more a film about stuff. It's about the stuff they owned and the stuff they had. And I'm just when I was watching, I was like, I cannot believe this movie. Like, yeah, Yeah. I wish she would have directed something that she didn't write. Yes. Um, And uh, speaking of writing, by the way, she co-wrote it with Alex Kashishian, who who directed uh, Truth or Dare. So clearly she, you know, she had her people around her that she trusts, which I also was maybe not always the best thing because you don't want everybody to say yes to you all the time. Yeah, I don't think W.E. is a disaster by any means. No. It's just like you said, like, it's just a movie about stuff and there's not a lot of emotional resonance or anything in it. And it's weird because, you know, she is behind the camera. But this movie has the vibe of a lot of her acting. It's, yes. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> it's that thinness. Louis, you nailed it so early on. It's that thinness. Everything is like a what? veil. David, let's stop all this talk about marriage. It frightens me and I can't see any good coming of it. Why? Your family will never stand for it. The prime minister won't stand for it. Then I'll give up the throne. And I will be the most despised woman in the world. I, it was just such a missed opportunity. That's really sort of what you need to know about Madonna when we're talking about her films. So why don't we move out of her rewind and into our one star reviews? Oh boy, throw a dart <laughs> to her at Lance. <laughs> uh, Trana, since you are our guest, we are going to start with you. I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm going to throw my dart. It's an, em- <laughs> it's an embarrassment of riches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to choose. I think I'm going to have to go with Body of Evidence. Um, I do think 
the sex scenes, you know, redeem her performance to some extent, because like you mentioned, Gavin, like they're she's really doing a lot <laughs> in those <Yes>. scenes. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and I love those scenes. I just find this performance just lacking presence. Um, there's there's no core to this character. It's so mm-hmm. ungrounded. Um, again, you know, we mentioned it earlier, but that scene where like she gets slapped, like there's nothing, there's like no reaction. And yeah, there she's, there's, you know, for a movie that is so much about eroticism and passion and the body, there is no heat coming from her. Yeah. There's no pulse. Um, and yeah, Yeah, I I think of the scene where he like first confronts her when he thinks she's lying and she's like on like a library ladder or whatever and he's like well you didn't tell me this and she's like well blah 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 joanne's lying i didn't say it was joanne well who else would have been in the house while i was there you know the expression smoking gun frank she was in love with him don't you see that andrew marsh must have been a pretty goddamn lovable guy everybody was in love with him besides i haven't touched coke since i was 17. she makes a good witness like, yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. It's, very, it's very sleepy. It's one note. Um, and yeah, it's just, I don't think the movie is unwatchable. Like, I think it's a fun, campy watch, you know, especially if you love bad movies and I love bad movies. <laughs> that performance really does um, nothing for me. And, you know, if I look at, you know, other things that, you know, are basically one star reviews as well. I think there are more, you know, even in the next, the next best thing would also be kind of up there for me. But I think there are like two scenes in that that are sort of redeeming, you know, where (laughs) she is giving something. But to me, body of evidence just feels like she's so checked out. Totally. Um, My one star review, I, I, I'm going to choose Swept Away just because not only is she very bad and like i don't know who this like human is and i don't think she does either. i was gonna say i don't think it's a human i think that's what I mean. <laughs> right it's right a it's not a human. illuminati person yes <laughs> well specifically i mean this this was at her peak uh kabbalah i mean and she looks stunning yeah, she her looks body stunning. is incredible yeah. beautiful uh at every moment where she's just like i'm just tan on the beach yeah um <laughs> but so beyond her being very bad in it like that was just the movie that I was like, this movie offended me on so many levels. Like it's a combination of like both this, there's nary a camp thing to latch onto, to be like, Oh, this is fun. All I had was like that one scene where he's hallucinating and I'm like, wow, Madonna's a good singer and performer. Yeah. yeah. And she, she knows is, how to lip sync. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was like, and here she is doing that. But like, as opposed to like, you know, Shanghai surprise, like I, I that, this is something that she did like way late in her acting career. Like she should know better. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're. Uh, that's a really good point. And I think that's sort of what I meant earlier about like all these chances. Like how yeah. can you keep making the wrong choices over and, and over honestly, again? And it's the same mistakes. It's really the same mistakes. What's that? What? That. It's a jug. It's a coffee pot actually. What's in the coffee pot, Pee-Pee? Coffee, madam. Reheated coffee. Yes. What am I supposed to do with that? Um, drink it. Amber, it's not his fault. Well, whose fault is it then, Todd? Who's paying whom to do what around here? And it starts with, like, 
let's make art with this man that I'm in love with. It's, it starts there because she, it's like infects everything that she's doing. And she's so self-conscious, like being in front of the camera where her husband or whoever is behind. And it's just like, it, it poisons everything. The well is gone. And I think so now that you got me thinking about her being like with WE, it's like, she's so desperate for this, like great magic love. Yeah. And like, you know, somehow finding a man to meet her at that artistic level that she is at as a musician. And it's like, give it up gal. Yeah. Like, you know, you got it. You don't need anyone else. But she, um, she does like, she really wants that, you know, like yeah. she really wants that. And not many men can handle that. You know, like I guy, I think for guy, like being with Madonna was like, you know, just in terms of like his fragile masculinity was like very difficult. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Totally. I'm actually going to meet you both, you gals in the middle. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to say the next best thing mm. uh, because oh. because I mean, I do find this movie offensive and I I don't really fully understand it. So this movie came out in 2000, like what it was attempting to say about the queer experience about the parental experience if it had any ambitions to say anything about either of them in general i think the script is really bad i definitely think john schlesinger was the wrong uh director but speaking specifically of madonna she is i I mean it's more than stilted in this movie like it it's the like like occasionally fake British accent and pausing between words. It's almost like she's a robot that has replaced Madonna. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. she's really trying to deliver these like, um, Oh, Robert, don't say that. Like, (laughs) you know, like our child loves us both. Yeah. I, I, I don't understand what she's going for. I feel like Kevin was my last chance for a normal life. (laughs) Now you're really scaring me. Robert, look at me. I'm not 24 anymore. Not even 34 anymore, so what? Maybe I'd like to have a family at some point. Before it's too late. Abby, I think you should sort things out with your own wacky family before you think about creating a dysfunctional carbon copy of your own. Oh, thank you. I knew you'd understand. I found clips of her on Will and Grace, where famously she played Karen's... Five-star review. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She played Karen's um, roommate at a point in which Karen's husband had left her. And I think she's like hitting the same notes, but when you do it in a sitcom, yeah. because there's like pausing for laughs and it works. You're right. And when you're doing it in like a, a comedy drama and you're trying to hit those emotional moments, but also like connect with an audience on a humor level, it's like, what, what is happening? Like you're watching a person malfunction. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bad. It's sort of like me sometimes like when I'm getting like, let's say I'm doing like a photo shoot. Like sometimes I don't know what to do with my arms. Like Uh what am I supposed to Uh do with my arms? And I feel like sometimes when Madonna gets in front of a camera, it's like she forgets how to speak and like doesn't know what to do with her voice. (laughs) And she's like, you can, again, you mentioned it earlier, Louis, like you can see the machinery operating. Yeah. We also just mentioned that, like, in this movie, it's entirely undercut because, surprise, in the end, she's like, P.S., he's not your kid. Right. And it's, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. The entire journey we've been on about, like, you know, that's his actual father. The one leg that they're standing on is, like, that is the biological right. father. And then, like, they have to fucking just, like, obliterate it all. And and the, but, and the thing that, I don't want to excuse that, but I think the thing that would have carried it is had she been 
really likable or yeah. had she been played by like had this been like a Sandra Bullock or mm-hmm. like, like I would even go as far as like a Jennifer Aniston who I don't think is amazing but think could have played this yeah had she like gotten the audience on her side you could be like I get it. Tough her, spot. Yeah, tough, tough spot. spot. Her boyfriend was a real fucking asshole, like called Rupert Everett a faggot before yeah. he mm-hmm. like leaves. And, you know, it's I, I get why she would do this. But because it's this stilted wooden yeah. and she's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. My, P.S., not yours. Yeah, and yeah. it's so self-serving. After yeah. this man yeah. has spent five years of his life and has given up so much to be the father of this child... Yep. I think it would have been a much more interesting movie and really would have said something if this woman finally finds love that she's wanted for so long, but she's in this familial arrangement with her best friend. Yeah. And that she's mm-hmm. actually willing to remain committed to that despite having found what she wanted. That would have really yeah. said something, you know? Yeah. yeah. But the movie's not interested in big takes. No. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, I can't yeah. disagree with that choice, I, but but I do agree. I I do I do think that you're right when you say there's a couple scenes and you feel it. Yeah, like I like I, the date scene. I like yeah her and uh, Benjamin Bratt on their like dinner date scene. Like there again, there was a part of me that was like excited by the idea of Madonna doing a rom com, but yeah. I I don't think Madonna being who she is can really play just sort of normal civilians. I think that's it's right. Just, I think that's correct. It doesn't work. <laughs> It doesn't yeah. work. Um, but, but was there anything else that either of you saw that you didn't particularly like? I mean, don't, don't all jump at once. <laughs> I will say that, like, I was not on board the way that you guys were for Who's That Girl. And probably because I didn't, this was the first time I watched it. It was, like, right. yesterday. So I don't have the, like, historical, like, oh, that was. That so makes a big for difference. For me, I was like. It does. Like, it's true because sometimes you watch something as a child and then you watch it now and you contextualize it with today and you're just like, Oof, oh no. I didn't think there was. I, I like watched this and I was like, you know, it's just silly enough and there's nothing that offended me. It's fine. Yeah. Fair. You know? Fair. I mean, again, my memory of it is quite vague at this point, but I do remember like really finding Shanghai Surprise like yeah. unwatchable. That was my second pick. That was my second pick. I feel like I went into a fugue state in the middle of (laughs) Shanghai Surprise. And when I came out, I was like, oh, it's over. (laughs) What happened? Yeah. It's everything is like every cliche, horrible stereotype of Asian people. Yeah. But then also just like weird, like going off the deep end, like the hands sent me through the roof. (laughs) Sent me through the roof. It's me. Marble hands. But let's get out of here. Let's get to a more positive area. Let's do our five-star reviews. Trina, I just wonder I wonder what, what it could be. <laughs> I'm checking um, my crystal ball. <laughs> so obviously my choice is Evita. I really think, I mean, I'll talk more specifically about her performance, but I, I do think this movie is stunning. Like that opening funeral scene is sublime like the the pet the flower petals in the air like it is epic it is done on such a grandiose scale that to me feels almost sublime um Mm. and i get emotional even just from that scene just the combination of the visuals and the music 
I think that Evita is a strange musical to begin with. Like it is a strange yeah. project. Yes. You know, it started yes. as this concept album. The idea of making a musical about the life of this polarizing political figure is a very bizarre choice. <laughs> and I do think that because of that, there is an inherent bizarreness to this movie, but that I think is super interesting. Like doing this thing that is so out there but doing it in this way that feels like a historical film, you know, in, in the cinematography and the way that it's made. I just love that. And I think that <laughs> there's not really much like it, you know, like yeah. I think that Evita really stands out as this very singular film. Um, and I think that, you know, she's really drawing on what she does best in music videos. Like, you know, obviously yeah, totally. all of this music was recorded before the filming, which most musicals are done, but most musicals have, you know, dialogue. It's really yeah. strange that, like, all of the actors involved had to make their acting choices when they were doing the soundtrack recording and don't really get to move that around a lot. Um right. And I think the costumes are stunning. Um, mm -hmm. And I just think she is such a commanding force in this movie. Again, when I saw it for the first time, I did not have a concept of who Madonna was. I went into it, you know, as a kid with this complete blank slate. And I was mesmerized by it. And even when I watch it now, I'm still mesmerized. I think she's so commanding. I think she got the gestures like really down. I do think Madonna really studied this figure, you know, like I think Madonna really did the work. And I feel like this is one of the few times where I don't see the machinery. I really feel yeah. like I'm just seeing Madonna in the moment. And, you know, the most critical scene, you know, her death scene, like is moving, you know, like I think she really pulled it off in what is a very bizarre movie conceptually. And, and totally. having to do that death, death scene without any music. Having yeah, to, exactly. to, she does That's that scene. the one scene. part where they get to do live. So what use could 50, 60, 70 be? I saw the lights and I was on my way. I'm going to let Louis go last this time because I'm actually going to back you up and say that I agree. I think it's Madonna's best performance. And I would highlight if, uh, you know, there's lots of really good moments and a lot of like really good small things. But I would say my favorite, like if you really want to see her, her act while singing, the waltz for Ava and Che. Oh my God! Yes, with her and Antonio Banderas, and they're is they're in this phenomenal. empty room. Phenomenal! It absolutely is, and she is she is acting it within an inch of her life, and I mean that in as a compliment. Like you've never seen her before. No. Tell me before you get on to your bus, before joining the forgotten brigade. How can one person like me say? Alter the time-honored way the game is played. Just giving it her all. And um, yeah, I I actually, I know it's quite the controversial uh, pick because lots of people weren't sure, uh, you know, how she would perform. 
I still think it's maybe one of the biggest Oscar snubs. I'm not saying she should have won, but the fact that she wasn't nominated is bonkers to People me. People have gotten nominated for doing a lot less. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, as we all know. But I also, like, maybe, I'm so glad you brought up the waltz um, for Ava and Che scene because it is, like, the sort of masterpiece moment of that film. Um, and, and the dancing, too, is, oh like, gorgeous. So it's all these things happening at once, you know? The dancing, the singing, the acting. They're moving from location to location. It's just all so beautifully done. Watch what I can do when I deploy my emotion in my voice and my body and my face. And, yeah, I I think it's really brilliant. Also, just um, on a, a production standpoint, you know, I agree with you, everything you said about it looking lavish and whatnot. And if you really compare it to Alan Parker directed Fame, which is such a gritty, like, uh, indie-looking musical, doesn't have these... I mean, the big moments in that are nothing compared to Evita. And so it's really impressive to see him do this both realistic-looking, but also extravagant musical versus something that's a bit more grimy, a bit dirtier. Yeah. Exactly. And, I think and, it strikes a good balance between those two things. And like, unlike a lot of other movie musicals that are trying to create some sort of fantastical environment that doesn't really feel super real. <coughs> Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not the Phantom call out. <laughs> Sorry, there's something in my throat. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like this strikes a really great balance. Like, it, again, it's to me, it's that like juxtaposition of this like really bizarre musical. But yeah, that's being portrayed in this like very realistic but lavish way but i i really want people to give this movie another shot because i think that again it kind of bothers me that it's become so forgotten you know it was a decently Mm. sized success at the time and the soundtrack was a really big success but again it hasn't left a lasting impression on the culture and I right. I want people to revisit this. I completely agree with you. That is also my five-star review. Louie. All right. I am the child of the group <laughs> and going to say, like, my pick is not high art. It is 1992's A League of Their Own. That's high yeah. art. And How dare. And it's just, that is, you know, to me, so we, 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 we mentioned her Will and Grace moment, um, which I think she's great in that. And I bring that up and also, I want to mention her Saturday Night Live Oh my live god, yes, thank you. I had made a mental note to bring that up and I forgot. <laughs> she she is deployed in those instances the way she is deployed in A League of Their Own. She is surrounded by other people who are very fucking good at what they're doing um, and is, is just able to bounce around, have fun, not worry about the pressure, like you said, Trina. Like, I think it truly is, you know, if, if she can come down to earth a little bit and not be the, the end all be all, you know, on Will and Grace, she knows she's not the funniest bitch in the room. Right. Like she is just this little slice of, uh, you know, bad girl, cool girl, gritty. I mean, it, it, it is a lot of her experience, you know, like trying to make it through gritting it out and like, is not going to take any shit from anybody. Um, but she's just, she's an essential puzzle piece to that wonderful wonderful movie that um you know i i I, especially with her and rosie like that's a dream team if i ever saw one yeah i couldn't agree more she really like that attitude that you're describing like 
Yes, attitude. If you took that out of a league of their own, some, it would be too nice. Yes. You yeah, know? too prissy. Yeah, too prissy. Exactly. Well, what? they're businessmen. So? No profit, no what product. Are you talking, Wait profit. Profit. talking about? And what am I supposed to do, huh? Go back to taxi dancing? Ten cents or some slop can sweat gin all over me? I'm never doing that again. So you go back there and you tell old rich Mr. Chocolate Man that he ain't closing me down. They're able to like paint a picture of like a nice spread of women and and even I mean like the movie goes out of its way to be like and PS we're rooting for these women, but like where the fuck are the black women? Like yeah. it's yeah. taking the time and you can tell again, like this movie is so grounded in the experience of women, like Penny Marshall really like you can feel this like wonderful synergy flowing yeah. through it. Whereas opposed to like these other movies where she's fucking working not only with men but men she's fucking yeah it's just like it's I, the, the t- it's so gross I was just gonna say that I, I do wonder what her career would be like if perhaps she did work with more women and she has worked with women in her music video career but if she'd worked with more women on her feature film career because I I agree because I think there's an opportunity in this film to make all of those women who are not Gina Davis and who are not Lori Petty's character Kit into cardboard and like and it feels like it's there in the script and it's definitely performances and direction that is elevating yeah that's a good point and and so i you know i i think i don't know there's so much more to her performance than just being like a floozy you know because that's that's the easy way to play yeah and she yeah she adds a dimension to it Absolutely. Like, whereas in some of her other films, like she's not able to push beyond like, yeah, I fuck, but like there's a human behind here. Well, yes, the other exactly. One, she's giving nothing. She's giving nothing. Exactly. Thank that. Yeah. I think that's what I was trying to get at. And maybe didn't fully articulate. Like you don't feel the human behind the character and body of evidence. You literally just see this one note person who's like, I love to fuck. And what a different movie it would be if like she was able to convey like, yes, I fuck Andrew. I fuck Frank. But also... I deserve respect. Yeah, exactly. Like I exactly like, privacy and like all the things that we all get. Like I am not a criminal for you know enjoying like hot wax during sex well, or yeah, whatever. Exactly. You know? But all that to say, she's able to find that in a league of their own. And honestly, that's that movie stands absolutely. Like what you're saying, like as you wish Avita could have that cultural resonance, a league of their own has it. Like in space. Yeah, definitely. Great choice. So was there anything else that either of you saw that, you know, doesn't necessarily have to be a five-star review, but right. that you particularly liked? I do think that Dangerous Game deserves some attention. What's really yeah. funny, film teachers or film professors love this movie. That makes sense. I, I can see it. I had two <laughs> film classes in my, like, university days two different professors who showed us this movie and i was shocked because at the time i didn't know that there was this critical appreciation around the movie i thought it was just another one of madonna's panned movies and i was shocked that these like serious you know straight hetero film scholars Mm -hmm. like loved this movie which also kind of makes me hate it a little bit because (laughs) um, i i went to film school and they made me fucking watch pulp fiction and Five different wow. classes. Five Yikes. different wow. classes. So trust me, there are worse. But outcomes. I do think that she is doing things in that movie that I cannot imagine many other actresses or people who are 
celebrity-wise on her level ever being willing to do. Yeah. Like, she really goes there in this movie um, and is really compelling. Um, and again, like, I think she deserves, like, some credit for for doing that. Because again, like... I can't picture anyone else being willing to go to those places because they're so dark and scary. Yeah. Um, And just to do the opposite of that, um, who's that girl? It doesn't matter what Louis says. You should watch it. Anyways. (laughs) And Desperately Seeking Susan, obviously. Yes. Even beyond beyond Madonna, what I love about that movie is that like, it really is like a time capsule. Like New York City of 1984 is like palpable. You can smell the air in that movie. Yeah. That's the that's the real answer, honestly. Desperately seeking totally. Susan. Absolutely. So before we get to our fast word, let's do our mixed reviews reviews. My one star review was 2000s, the next best thing. My one star review was Body of Evidence. My one star review was 2000s swept away. <laughs> My five star review, which was also Trana's five star review, was 1996 Avita. And mine was 1992's A League of Their Own. All right, let's get into our fast forward. The true gag is that, like, she is writing yes. her biopic, yeah. right? Yes. Like, that's uh, Diablo Cody is writing it. Yeah. But no longer. Maybe. She, oh. she, she jumped off. Oh, breaking news. Boop, yeah. boop, 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 boop. I don't know if you saw this, but some of their writing sessions they did on Instagram Live. I did um, hear that. And yeah, I, did. I watched some of them and i have to say like madonna was being a nightmare um <laughs> no i'm not even exact like i don't yeah. i'm not saying this with any shade like just objectively like you know if i had to write with someone who was treating me that way like no way like no yeah, way right. why would you describe tango as a well, what was it? How would you tango is sexy tango? and and dangerous and violent and it's like a but it also required a lot of discipline for you to learn. Of course. Yeah. Just give that. Why don't you just take over? I'm just going to kick back. Okay, why don't you with your big badass white couch? With your badass sparkly shoes. I almost don't think people should be involved in their own biopic, but at the same well, time, whoever like, has been, I mean, right. there have been people like right. Elton John was a producer on Rocket Man, right? Or he was involved yeah. at least as a consultant, but he wasn't that involved. Madonna is, I believe, potentially also directing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, yes. I believe that no um, one can tell Madonna's story besides her, but I would rather Madonna write the book and have mm-hmm. someone adapt yes. that. Adapt it. Okay, I will say, I just found a story. Diablo Cody says she didn't quit um, the picture despite reports, um, but that she had turned in a final draft and said goodbye to you. Like, <laughs> I, 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 this, I've completed my contract and I'm out of here. I don't really, um, but that's a spin. That that, yeah, that sounds like right. spin. I mean, I believe oh, that right. that's, obviously that was clearly what was reported, but I think based on the interactions that we all sort of witnessed, I think that's a spin um <laughs> but you know one of the most interesting things that was on instagram seeing madonna has kept everything she has diaries from you know 
her childhood, her teenage years, the early New York days. She has demo recordings. I am floored by the archives that she has kept. To me, that is mm. the most interesting thing. Like, I would love just to have, like, a giant, like, coffee table book with, yeah. like, all of these archives. and An exhibit, yeah, and ex- maybe? Honestly, like... honestly, like, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, wouldn't that be a unique way to tell your life story? Like, not even a book or a film, but, like, through an exhibit? Like, that yeah. would be incredible. She has had such a long career, yeah. um, has been so many places. You know, I... I I briefly dated an older gentleman and he was the one who showed me um, Truth or Dare. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I, people are funny about this, but like four men my age, yeah. like this was yeah. it. This was the only, and she was the true champion for like Gen X guys or gay men. And 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 it, it's as like younger or millennial, whatever, and, and certainly Zoomers, like, I think people shit on her um, unfairly just because she has now become so guarded and she, and even her like later SNL appearances where she's not even willing to play around with Lady Gaga. She's like, I'm not even going to go there. And so she's so guarded and shielded up now. And like, even when she did that like weird Prince. Yes, I know. I know. It's, I wish we could like see the fun beating heart behind this iconic artist who truly defined a generation i really think that she defined like the concept of pop culture and celebrity and what it means to be a star no one i mean michael jackson yes but like i think madonna took it to a whole new level personally because of the way that madonna affected the way we live our lives i don't think michael jackson Mm -hmm. changed the way we live our lives but madonna really did And I think what happens, unfortunately, when someone reaches that level of fame, especially for this long, you start to sell yourself on certain narratives that have less and less to do with reality. And so I'm not (laughs) convinced that Madonna can even really tell the story in the way that she would have been able to tell it in like 1998, when she was so open with Ray of Light and this moment of clarity in her life. I just think now, like you're saying, like there's this self-protection, this extreme guardedness, but also this major disconnect with reality that they all go through once again, once they've sustained this level. And even Barbara is the same thing. Like, I'm super excited to read Barbara's memoir, but she has also sold herself (laughs) this narrative of her life that, you know, is, is just, I don't know how grounded in reality that is anymore. I wonder, totally. too, if this is going to end up like Barbara's memoir, where she Barbara's been working on that for yeah, five years yeah. now. Never and, ending. and so, like, maybe we'll just never see the Madonna biopic that's brought to you by Madonna. But I wanted to touch on two things. One, Louis, what you were saying about Truth or Dare. There's a great documentary that came out a couple years ago called Strike a Pose that is about oh, her dancers yes. from the Blonde Ambition yes. Tour. Highly Gorgeous. recommend it. It's, it's totally worth watching. And they talk about that. The letters they receive from people, you know, people being like, I'm from the Midwest. It's the first time I ever saw people living honestly a queer experience. And so I do think there's credit to be given for that there. But I also just wanted to circle back about the, the thing I was saying earlier about the fact that, like, I also think she's lost that subversive edge because mm-hmm. because as you said Trina, she defined what we think of as pop culture and with that she brought along 
a lot of the things that she was doing that were considered beyond the pale at the time, like the things that Madonna is doing in her videos from the 90s, like, I mean, even go look at um, Justify My Love, which was banned from MTV, yeah. and it seems pretty yes. softcore and tame yeah. nowadays. And so I think what it is is the, the thing she helped Divine caught up with her, and she's like, great, well, what the fuck am I supposed to do now? I know. So, like, I think you know, part so of like, the problem, and I really say this without any shade, I just think that, because I don't want, I think that people really forget Madonna's artistry, even when it comes to the music. Yeah. Everyone is so quick to say, like, you know, she lip syncs. First of all, she only lip syncs, like, two or three numbers in her shows that are, like, the most strenuous. She... On top of that, if I could lip sync this podcast, I would, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like... But, like, she really doesn't do it that often. And when you look at her album credits, on most of her songs, there are two writers, and she's one of them. There are two yeah. producers, yeah. she's one of them. Like, There's very she... few artists who People love that to, like, focus on her talent or vision as a curator, but she is a real fucking artist as well. And mm-hmm. I, I want people to remember that. But I think that there is this other side of Madonna in her entire career that has really come from a place of ego. And the ego is mm. never satisfied. Mm. And I think that Madonna mm-hmm. doesn't know how to live in this moment where she's not exactly the center of the universe. Um, versus someone like Cher, who totally knows where she stands. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she's yeah. just fully herself and enjoying mm-hmm. and enjoying her royalty in this world of yes. pop culture. But Madonna yes. still has this fixation on being the complete center of the world. And she mm-hmm. does not know how to let go of that. Um, and I think oh, yeah. that that has really harmed her as an artist, especially in these last 10 years of her career. Would you guys, and I, let's, this will be the, like, the last thing to say, do we want to see her in front of the camera again? As I want to see it one last time. Yeah, I feel, I feel, okay. I feel very much the same. I, I think given what we've learned, I hope somebody would deliver her the material that suits her. The problem is, is that I, I don't think she wants to play the material that would suit her. Ding, ding, you know? ding. Because right now yeah. she really, like, it would be fabulous to see her in a Baby Jane or yeah. um, a Sunset Boulevard type situation. She does not want to do that. Not interested. No. Yeah. And she would she would absolutely never play like a grandmother. Yeah. She would like, huh, well, Madonna, we love you. We don't love your movies as much. <laughs> um, but Trana, thank you so much for bringing her to the table um, today in this episode. Things got had... truly mixed. <laughs> really were... mixed. <laughs> really mixed. Uh, Trana, please tell the folks out there, how can they find you? You are a comedian. You are a podcastress. <laughs> tell the children. Um, yes, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Trana Winter. My podcast is called Chosen Family, and you can listen to that, obviously, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thank you guys so much for having me. I, I genuinely mean it when I said, like, you are a celebrity. And so the fact that you wanted to come on our, like, show, like, all 10 of our listeners are should be very excited <laughs> that you're that you're gracing us with well, your Well, I don't see it so that way, thank but thank you. you. Yes. Yeah, that wraps up our Madonna episode. You can find us a million places, right, Gavin? Absolutely. If you want to contact us on Twitter, we're at The Mixed Reviews. Uh, we're on Facebook. Just type in The Mixed Reviews. If you want to write us a little love note, you can email us at reviewsmixed at gmail.com. We're on Instagram. Just type in the underscore mixed underscore reviews. 
And if you want to continue listening to our show and listen to our beautiful back catalog of so many people mm-hmm. in film history, you can find us on a plethora of places. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Google. We're pretty much anywhere you want to put us in your ear holes. You can't get swept away from us, Dave. <laughs> uh-uh. no, 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 no. This is not the next best uh, thing. This is the best thing. <laughs> Love that. I believe we have the body of evidence to support that. God, please end me. End me now. You'll oh. die another day, Louis. It's not happening today. It's not happening today. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez, enough. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, everybody, for listening to us. Uh, We hope you come back in two weeks, in which we'll have another subject. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.